Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. Welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In this episode today, we'll be discussing the lyrical choices of Jason Netherton of Misery Index. Thanks for being with us, Jason. My pleasure. So Wonderful. just to start out, as we usually do, um, how would you introduce Misery Index's music to someone who has never heard the band before? I usually say, you know, first and foremost, it's kind of, ex- you know, it's extreme metal. Most people these days know what that kind of what that means. You know, I guess we're more... We're a death metal band at our core, but, you know, we definitely take a lot of influence from punk and hardcore and grindcore and that kind of spirit of things and kind of inject it into this you know, type of death metal we do. And and uh, I usually say, yeah, most people, you know, know death metal if they're familiar with the scene, you know, I can I can usually cite, you know, Napalm Death or something like that as a primary influence and and people kind of get it so <laughs> so uh encyclopedia metallicum lists you as a death metal slash grindcore hybrid are you vaguely okay with that kind of classification sure um <laughs> you know i mean I, I you know i grew up on heavy metal and then i kind of like you know progressed towards the more extreme end of things like thrash and speed metal and then death metal so when we talk about our band i like i've I definitely think, yeah, we're a death metal band. Some people have called us death grind, mm. you know, citing those kind of influences. Like early on, we kind of wavered in some some instances towards more, you know, the grind course side of things. And definitely this, you know, kind of socio-political content of the lyrics or reality-based lyrics, as I call them, kind of like mm. um, have a, you know, put us on a sort of in a certain kind of category within death metal which has more tradition like like as, as i said the napalm death kind of side of things that mm. brutal truth you know those kind of like bands which talked more about everyday struggles and issues and things like that rather than having the kind of fantasy based horror kind of gore lyrics that are found in a lot of death metal so it's just kind of uh yeah that's kind of where it is i guess mm. And so what drew you initially to uh, the kind of more extreme end of metal, uh, even as just a listener before you became an active kind of creator in the field? Um, just, just, you know, as a teenager, you're all, uh, at the time I was always just looking for the next, you know, boundary pushing kind of transgressive thing that would, you know, capture the imagination as being like something next level, you know, above and beyond like the, you know, what had already been established with heavy metal and, and, you know, for a while it was, it was, it was speed metal and thrash metal, but then I, I heard, 
some of the first death metal bands and that kind of really captured, you know, my, I don't know, my attention or whatever interest. And then, and then through, and then later I kind of discovered punk and hardcore and things like that. And that kind of rounded things out for me. And, but yeah, it was just a, you know, a gradual, you know, wandering into the, trying to find new things that were just like next level and pushing sonic boundaries pushing the boundaries of what the human body could do with the drums and the, and the throat vocals and things like that so that's really i guess the path a lot of people have taken hmm. <laughs> to but get you there said you t- you got into punk and hardcore after death metal yeah i mean i was a firm metalhead kid hmm. you know growing up in the 80s and 90s so it wasn't until the late 90s when i you know after maybe 10 years, I was in Dying Fetus for 10 years playing this kind of like brutal death metal. You know, it was very, it was what we loved to do. Um, it was kind of like, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't anything, going to be anything more than what it was, a kind of technical, brutal hybrid. So, um, you know, towards the end of my tenure in that band, I started writing more socio-political lyrics and kind of gave it that identity there. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started, you know, I found out about <laughs> things like, you know, in the tradition, like the like the early stuff, like Dead Kennedys to, you know, later in the 90s, bands like Disrupt, His Hero is Gone. It's kind of like more in the crust punks side of things that had these really angry, visceral lyrics that were rooted in, you know, everyday life. And it just sounded like they were angry for a reason rather than, and a lot of death metal bands, you know, like Cannibal Corpse or something, which obviously on the surf sound, you know, absolutely angry and pissed. To me, there was something more, I don't know, <clears throat> authentic about the way that punk and hardcore would like scream about, you know, a lot of everyday struggles and things like that, economic struggles, you know, things like that, which were you know, had more of a truth element to them, which attracted me. So that, that's definitely what punk and hardcore kind of brought to the table at the time. So were you not too enthralled with death metal lyrics then initially? Was it kind of punk that got you interested in, in lyrics as uh, something to pay attention to? Well, when I started taking the lyrics seriously, I, I mean, I loved, you know, the heavy metal lyrics that I of certain bands in the, in the 80s that were really you know, capture the imagination, but it was more like fantasy stuff. There's one band called actually called Holy Terror, uh, two albums out in the late 80s, and that their lyrics by a guy named Keith Dean, the singer at the time, and and they really they were like groundbreaking for me. This just kind of really captured the imagination. But I guess I don't know, and I like the death metal lyrics that we were doing, you know, in, in Fetus during the 90s, but they were just empty. They were just you know, placeholders for the sounds like that we were making <laughs> vocally, mm. but the, you know, they were just kind of mindless, kind of the kind of gore and violent stuff that seemed to be well suited to the music at the time. And, you know, and a lot of that too, like the music was trying to push the, the boundaries and say, what's the most extreme thing you can say and shock people like that would, you know, kind of match the, brutality of the music and of course Campbell Corpse and others were kind of forerunners in that and then you know the other type of subgenres of death metal which like pushed it even more to the extreme like gore grind and stuff but 
Um, yeah, I never really, it wasn't until like, you know, the late nineties when I had, when I discovered the hardcore and punk stuff. And also it, it mirrored like my own kind of like self edification where I was in life then I was getting to my mid twenties and wanted to start screaming about other things that were more meaningful to me mm-hmm. than just, um, fantasy based kind of violence gore stuff or whatever. So that's what happened. <laughs> right. Well, given that you said that, like, you know, metal lyrics can encompass this kind of quintessential fantasy based, like violence that we all kind of hear about, particularly with regard to like death metal, right? But can also equally kind of treat subjects of sociopolitical importance, just like you were discussing, right? Um, do you think, given this kind of variation, it's possible to pin down what makes lyrics kind of quintessentially or identifiably metal as opposed to non metal? In the traditional sense, yeah. I mean, there's, if you say heavy metal, you immediately think like, the big i don't know there's that kind of sort of sword and sorcery component or something or the you know the man of war or you know those kind of things you know iron maiden judas priest just singing about you know these kind of uh themes that are kind of like i don't know about you know unifying the metal masses and all that and you know, sticking together and there's a kind of like community component to there with all that. And um, those what might would be when you think of heavy metal, I think those are the kind of, you know, somewhat, I guess, generic tropes you see. <laughs> that kind but do of... you think of like, you know, you had like two sets of lyrics, like one from a metal band, one from a non-metal band. Do you think you'd be able to pick which is which? Not anymore. Mm. I mean, there's just so many, I mean, metal is just so fragmented now. There's so many subgenres and niches and different types of metal. And, and it's really just covering everything. So huh. that's why, I mean, there's everything, you know, which has been labeled metal, like from, you know, across the spectrum of doom metal, black metal, psychedelic black metal, you know, anarchist black metal to um, different types of tech death Mm -hmm. other things that you know that might center on themes of science fiction and you know and and uh technology and i don't know singularity kind of themes or something Mm -hmm. you know that you could just read the lyrics and it it just wouldn't relate at all to like oh this is a heavy metal kind of Mm. song and but and especially like our lyrics, you know, with Misery and X there, it could very well be, you know, on a punk or hardcore kind of record or something that's more of a, you know, in that kind of genre. So you mentioned that you prefer or you enjoy kind of, or you, or sorry, maybe to rephrase, you were looking for a while back lyrics that had a bit more kind of honesty to them or, or kind of real life uh, feel. Um, is that something that is possible, you think, in songs about like zombies or space or murder? Like, can you can you sing about the traditional death gore stuff in a way that is true to life in a way? Or, or is it always a bit fantastical and, and kind of, you know, entertainment ish? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a thread of or a type of, of lyric writing. I guess it kind of started with maybe Carcass, maybe in the who you know had these like very literal kind of clinical pathology pathology kind of takes on like you know science or medical themes you know that are you know i guess attempt maybe it was an attempt to elevate it out of the comical 
but hmm. and show a more reality based because it was often coupled with you know this collage of imageries of like surgeries and stuff and so i mean there is a kind of component there and you know i guess it's it's ultimately just what people want to get out of it if people are looking for something more of more substance in their lyrics and they find it in something that connect they connect with some people it might be you know some of the themes of nature you know and that you know, or in a lot of black metal or something, or something that mm-hmm. connects with them, and so on a spiritual level or something. But um, for me, that I just felt, happened to find that you know, kind of honesty in the or authenticity, if you will, of of trying to find lyrics that match the the you know the extremity of the type of music we were playing. Mm-hmm. I found that in those kind of you know, in everyday life kind of themes. So mm-hmm. I always thought there was a much you know, horror and horror in everyday life you could talk about and pull the cover back on and talk about rather than dwelling on serial killer themes or something like that. But Well, of course, this is kind of a question of taste, but do you think you can say like what makes for good metal lyrics versus bad metal lyrics for you personally? Yeah, I liked if it, if it, if it works, I like, I like lyrics that work well with imagery that, that muse have a sense of like you know painting a kind of picture to like you know, like giving like f- which you know construct a kind of like image in your head as you're reading them about something or and i like i i often like lyrics that rhyme to me that like the use of wordplay use of metaphor like allegory like all these kind of like literary themes if that's in there that's like excellent for me you know like I grew up reading like, you know, I like a lot of the classic English poets and reading like Coleridge and things like that. And, and I, I often, I have heavily, I strongly like, like the wordplay and, and the use of a really good rhyme. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you you know, I know people for a lyrics that don't rhyme mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I like those too, but sometimes it fits that extra like touch of like the effort of trying to make a something that captures the imagination and you know a convincing way that's the main thing so before we jump into asking you about some of your lyrics because a lot of these features you mentioned that you like obviously appear in mm. the, the lyrics that you write uh we just want to ask broadly since we've never talked to anyone who's had as long of a career in you know extreme metal as you and just if we reflect back to when you started writing lyrics compared to when you write lyrics now, uh, can you see any changes in how you approach lyric writing, even in like just the way you do it or the words you use or kind of how you get the words into the music? Or is it kind of has been the same sort of process throughout your career? Yeah, it's it kind of, you know, I, I have a system now and, uh, an approach you know the music's always written first um when i write a song i do have kind of lyrics in mind but maybe when the other guitarist writes they don't really think about the lyrics so it's it's a little bit harder to write lyrics to those songs because they're not structured as as i would have them mm-hmm. like thinking about the lyrics the whole time um but usually yeah i mean it's definitely gotten harder you know and i think we were seven albums in with misery index and you know, we have our themes and and it's it's definitely a challenge to like find new <laughs> things to talk about or I mean I've been looking in recent years, you know, there's a lot of 
you know, upheaval in the world in different places. And, you know, during the Trump years, there was, there was, there was a lot to talk about there as far as being like a post-truth era that we're in. And, and the idea of truth was like a theme in the last album. Um, so yeah. And the album before that killing gods, that was probably the moment we reached the most outside of our, uh, comfortable wheelhouse in, in the sense that we we did a half half the album is a kind of reimagining of uh of faust mm-hmm. um and a kind of talking about it in a modern sense after i read a book called all that solid melts into air by marshall berman it's like his it's like a take on the, the political and economic changes under modernity through the 20th century and he, and he used Faust as a kind of, I don't know, like an allegory or something to explain like how modernity's, you know, as, as the first kind of like um, story about a, a modernist kind of take on things about how, <clears throat> um, anyways, we, we use that theme as a, to tell a story, like a, a four song kind of um, take on it. But I actually didn't write the lyrics to that one. The guitarist Mark did the lyrics to that one. Okay. So, but anyways, that that was like us stepping out. That's as far as we stepped out, I guess, in in one way, is to go into that more poetic kind of um, <clears throat> take on things rather than just okay, this song's going to be about uh, you know the international uh, labor supply chain and how it's very exploitative, uh, you know, third world workers and or something mm-hmm. which is always a theme of mine because I've always, I've always been interested in labor mm-hmm. and that's like the, mm. the one thing that's always kind of permeates the lyrics. Well, your answer now is just like segued really nicely into the questions that we wanted to ask that are more kind of specific to your lyrical content. Um, and as we dive into this, I think it's good to kind of start with a discussion of your band name, because uh, for those listeners who might be unaware, your band's name, Misery Index, is actually the name for a particular economic calculation uh, created by North American economist Arthur Melvin Oaken uh, in the 70s, I believe, whereby you add the unemployment rate to the inflation rate to assess the level of economic distress experienced by the general population, right? Um, and if you look at the lyrical content that stretches across your uh, seven albums, um, as you've said yourself, um, it seems like, um, you know, the band name really gives you a pretty good indication of what you're going to get in terms of the band's thematic foci, uh, which includes, you know, those kind of um, class struggles, capitalists, like wage slavery, dissidents, um, and these kind of overarching failings of um, modern capitalist society, right? Um, and it's all kind of ties into the um, you know human labor that you were talking about. So, given that you have one of the largest kind of music catalog- catalogs that we've seen on the podcast, as Wes was mentioning earlier, we wanted to kind of begin discussing your lyrics uh, by first asking you kind of what brought you to um, this theme and what kind of like keeps you coming back to this theme so consistently. Because you said that you know labor is one of those topics that permeates um, all of your work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're correct. I mean, the the name of the band did come from from that economic indicator i know when you, when you read about it, it just sounds so boring <laughs> especially for a band in you know, a metal band or a death metal band which is you know ultimately entertainment i guess in the end but but yeah that's that's where it came from it also came from a band a band named asuk rasuk um who had whose second album was called misery index mm. and that, they had a big impact mm-hmm. on me lyrically as well um but yeah, I mean, it's, it just goes back to, 
I guess my own kind of like working class roots, you know, I came from that kind of a background, like kind of a family. I was, I was in, uh, you know, different periods of my life. I, I was in the union. I was a union plumber for a while um, and did other kinds of like work like that construction. And, and it always kind of resonated with me, you know, like asking the bigger questions about, um, you know, who benefits from this and, mm-hmm. and why, and why certain systems are set up the way they are. And it just, it was just like the most basic kind of like uh, questions about, you know, what is best in life and who's, you know, benefiting from it, who's being exploited. And, and, and that's kind of uh, what would carry me through. And as I, you know, I got older and, and read more about it. And of course I, you know, read my share of Marx and others and, and that kind of stuck with me. So when it came time to, you know, writing lyrics to this music and, you know, I was looking for something that kind of, you know, that I could be up on stage, like, you know, if I'm going to be screaming about it every night, I want it to be something which really means is meaningful for me. And I could say it with conviction. Mm-hmm. So those things naturally kind of worked their way into the lyrics. And, um, and through the years, they've maybe been some some albums and statements have been more, I don't know, extreme, extreme than others. I remember there was a kind of phase when I was more interested in anarchist philosophy, anarchist syndicalism and, and things like that. And, and uh, around 2008, the Traders album, I think is kind of heavily spiced with that, those kind of themes. And, and at the same time, I, I never felt like I really wanted to like shove it down people's throats or hammer it over their heads. So I, I like to use a lot of, I like to use languages, which kind of just like sets a tone or presents an idea rather than saying do this this this, and that you know blah 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 so that's just kind of been my approach through the years and it's it's, uh worked for me i guess (laughs) when you first started writing your question oh yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely. does yeah (laughs) when you first started writing these kind of politically charged lyrics you know that was a a very different time in the history of of death metal did you find it difficult to you know jump from as you were saying the kind of uh you know just songs about violence or songs about murder and zombies to political ones did you have any like was there any kind of pushback that you encountered early on or even you know just even later in your career but i imagine more earlier on when people like you you know this is death metal you can't have those kind of punky lyrics you can't you know politics like that shouldn't belong in death metal this is a you know this is a genre for songs about you know fantasy yeah (laughs) slaughter um kind of you know death metal was actually born out of a kind of merger of, you know, what was happening in the UK with the grindcore stuff and, and Napalm Death and Extreme Noise Terror, um, you know, Carcass, like these kind of like early bands there, which, which came out of the punk scene and, and actually had, you know, lyrics were, which were kind of more, as I said, just say reality based. Um, it kind of merged you know, with what was happening in the U.S. and, and Sweden and other places. And, and it kind of created a, a space where I remember distinctly in the late 1980s that the music is what mattered and the subject matter would often, at the time, there were bands like, you know, that were talking about the Gore stuff, but there were other bands like Bolt Thrower who were singing about mm. war. There was Terrorizer, you know, just who was in the kind of the Napalm Death, like singing about, you know, songs like multinational corporations and, Mm-hmm. corporation pull in and all that and it just i mean it didn't seem like there were any rules so mm. i remember the first like two dying fetus 
the first dying fetus record um started those scenes started to creep in but it wasn't like totally um the main idea and i don't remember any there wasn't any pushback from my bandmates or anyone else you know everyone just focused on the music for the most part so when i started having you know these kind of themes of were creeping in in the the first album purification and violence and the second killing on adrenaline it was kind of like uh <clears throat> it just went along with the music and um nobody said anything and so i felt pretty comfortable by the time um destroy the opposition came out 2000 which is very much on the surface like pretty clear like political record death death metal record mm. and there wasn't anyone that that was sort of like hey this is what is this about you know this isn't that it was it was really just about the music and the riffs i guess um and the the lyrics were kind of in the imagery were kind of secondary maybe but mm. i don't i've never heard anyone complain about there are people like in through the years that have said, well, I don't want to have politics in my music or something. And that might be too political, but <clears throat> um, it's been few and far between. So I think death metal has always been pretty open to like whatever kind of lyrics you want to talk about for sure. Okay. So it was more of kind of a natural progression rather than thinking kind of like, all right, stop. I'm going to do something new that kind of feels like a risk. Yeah. I did it was a slow move transit. It wasn't like, oh, one album was like really only with Dying Fetus, really only the demos were total like gore. Mm -hmm. I think the first album even started having more like everyday kind of horror reality stuff themes in it. So at least in my own personal lyrical like journey through the years, whatever it's after like right by that time it was wasn't any looking back. But what really hammered at home was like like i said the late 90s kind of discovery of, of punk and cross punk and grindcore and those kind of like more explicit um approaches to political lyrics mm -hmm. mm. and was it kind of difficult at all to come back to kind of similar subject matter across different releases because i mean you've mentioned that of course there are differences in how you've kind of treated subjects like um you know labor given that you know you've had um interests in um like anarchist philosophy at particular points in time that's like influenced the way you've written lyrics but in general though do you feel like any pressure to kind of continually bring a new kind of perspective or approach um to this issue um or is this kind of not really a, a concern for you yeah it's always a challenge to keep things kind of fresh and but you know there's no shortage of like you know woe and ills in the world to to bring into the lyrics in some way or another i just try to keep like I to use, like I said, a lot of imagery and, and metaphor and really make them interesting. I still think though, in general, that you know, death metal and is not is more is always about the music first. And I don't I don't ever really get a lot of people asking me about the lyrics <laughs> or oh, mm, even saying much about them. It's almost always about the music. I mean, re-reviews mm -hmm. that I've seen, it's like, okay. <laughs> It's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just some um, people are a little bit inured to it or at this point, it's like, okay, we know what they're going to be about or something, or I don't know, <laughs> but I, I try to keep it interesting. It's, it's important to me. And I guess there are people out there but maybe who, uh, people have told me that they like the lyrics and they're meaningful, mm -hmm. but it's not like a, 
you know, a, it's it's always like the music. If you see reviews or it's always they talk about the sound, the riff, the production, the record. It's like those are the main things that are seem to be the driving interest. <laughs> I mean, is that disappointing yeah. for you at all, given that, like, you know, if you mm. read your lyrical content, it's very clear that you've put a lot of time and effort into building these lyrics that, you know, incorporate a lot of like interesting wordplay uh, and very, you know, um, modern and uh, relevant subject matter. Yeah, is it something that you'd rather, I suppose, like hear more about in, in interviews and stuff like that, or like, you know, in just in your conversations with fans and stuff, is it disappointing to, I suppose, not have this effort recognized? Yeah. I know that people have told me through the years that it means, and so I, I, you know, I write to, to please myself and then if I'm happy with it and I put it out there, I know there is, a, you know, some people out there that do read them and, and might, you know, spark some ideas and, or might, resonate with them in some way that's 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 very meaningful i just know that in this genre that the music is always like the main thing that captures you know the feeling they get from it so and it's, you know and of course because we're screaming you know we try to enunciate the words as best we can but ultimately you know we are screaming them so they aren't the most easy to decipher um so the, in from the, from the early days, death metal vocals have always been a kind of like an, an additional instrument in the band. There's, you know, the first, you know, two obituary albums didn't have any lyrics. It was just John Tardy up there screaming sounds and enunciating like, you know, pseudo words. There wasn't any lyrics. And there was, there's a few other examples i can't remember right now mm. but that's like the perfect example of how death metal vocals were just this like additional layer of like i don't know tones tonality or whatever or melody on top of the the, the guitars and the drums so mm. it's always been that kind of <laughs> struggle i guess but um but you know that's what the lyrics are there for in the lyric in the in the lyric book later on the on the record and <clears throat> and even you know and i remember even as a kid in the 80s like look re reading along to the lyrics that you know you couldn't understand them everyone even when they were singing them so yeah like, i don't know <laughs> so does this mean the lyric book kind of like serves as like an additional text like of you know like an easter egg if you like for like fans that are willing to make that additional effort yeah that's that's a good way to look at it if you, to me it's like yeah if they want to take the extra step and they want to read the lyrics and they and they something about them like you know like you know draws them in and makes them connect with the with what we're doing even more that's 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 great that's why i do it you know it's frustrating to me because i know when you read lyrics when someone has a really good band but they you know they don't take the lyrics seriously so they just write whatever or whatever put anything in there it's like the kind of typical themes and same words or something mm. that's doesn't work for me but the lyrics are important to me and i and the bands that do have good lyrics are bands that i connect with i guess <laughs> mm. 
So you mentioned the, the use of kind of themes and imagery, and, and one image that we sort of noted throughout yours is a lot of references to Christian religious imagery. Uh, so like from your first EP, Overthrow to Complete Control, there's frequent references to angels, demons, the devil, crucifixes, crucifixion, testaments, rites, hymns, churches, chapels, altars, prophets, preachers, shepherds, flocks. Uh, in some of your songs, you talk about biblical cities like Gomorrah and Babylon, um, and there's more overt references to Christian mythology, like in the song uh, Conquistadores of Discordia, which has lines as infidels in Eden's garden will tear out the serpent's eyes, or the song Ruling Class Cancel on Traitors, which features the line, open up the seventh seal and watch the West decay, uh, being the final symbolic seal in the apocalypse myth of Revelations. Um, is this something that you're kind of when you think about your lyrics, a theme you're aware that you keep going back to, um, are you intentionally drawing on this kind of Christian imagery? And uh, if so, uh, how does this imagery kind of support your exploration of, of politics and class issues and things like that? Um, I just, I think it just, a lot of those things just provide really good material for, you know, talking about some of these themes historically and, and, and just still, I mean, this resonates. It's just something which, can, I, you know, I I find to be useful, like as an expressive way to talk about some of these themes. And, you know, I mean, they're not necessarily, I, I wasn't trying to be like religious about it or anything, mm. but mm. I just like a lot of the, I know the weight, it just carries a lot of, uh, <laughs> I know, a poetic, kind of heft or something which kind of I connect with and um yeah I don't I don't know it's just <laughs> well, what, do, what do you um, mean that why does I mean Christian for example or, oh, sorry I mean for the contisadors one that that was just a, a kind of way um you know, that was a way of talking about how at the time you know a lot of the, what the extreme right was doing and in, in trying to you know demon Islam was um, kind of mirrored a lot of what um, extreme Islam was saying about the West and they were kind of like two mirror entities and and I was talking about that historically um, about what happened during the Gulf War and but yeah sorry what were you going to say Oh, just I, I guess you mentioned that these have weight. Uh, why do you feel that they have? Um, why do like why, why do references to Christianity have poetic or weight in that way? Do you think? Oh, uh, well, I don't. I don't. And it's not necessarily Christianity. I guess some of those themes, but I don't. I see them more as historical themes rather than specifically mm -hmm. religious. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are like some of the grand myths of history, which are you know transcend a lot of different religions and. Um, and I just, you know, I've, the seventh seal thing, and like, I always thought that that was kind of a, you know, it just conjures up a great, you know, a powerful image of like a, fun, a, fun, a finality of sorts or something that. <laughs> yeah, sure. It wasn't meant intended to be like a any kind of take on Christianity or. I know it's a Christian theme, of course, in in the Bible, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, there certainly are other references beyond those that are drawn specifically from Christianity in your lyrics, because, you know, there's um, images that reference um, Greek and Roman mythology that, again, kind of stretch across your releases as Greek gods and beings like Styx, um, you know, the goddess of the river Styx, um, that uh, is the river between um, Earth and the underworld. 
um, in Unbridgeable Chasm uh, from Retaliate and Black Sights uh, from Traitors. So there's Medusa, of course, from Medusa Stared of uh, Discordia. There's Narcissus, uh, who's a hunter, um, son of the river god Sisyphus and a nymph who is particularly known for his beauty of um, Pandemican of Discordia. There's Dionysus, um, Gaia, personification of the earth, um, Minerva, Roman goddess of wisdom, and Cronus, um, Greek titan and the god of time. And it's also references to other gods too. I think there's, um, so there's the spear of Osiris, of course, um, on decline and fall. Um, so yeah, I suppose, what do these um, references to mythical beings add to the songs? I suppose like speaking more broadly beyond the context of kind of Christian mythology. Wow. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you like list them all because I never thought about it like through the whole you know 20 years of lyrics like all these things are like <laughs> but um yeah I mean like like the religious themes they they just have this kind of like I don't know eternal resonance like they they root things they, they ground things and and they're powerful themes I mean I think you know Minerva that's you know that that was from something I read I think it was Hegel who said the owl Minerva spreads its wings at dusk it's, you know, it's this kind of idea that, you know, as a civilization reaches its apex, that it really, it's, once it becomes aware of its, you know, what's accomplished in a sense, it's already in decline. Um, so it's, in a lot of those broad civilizational kind of themes, historical themes are like what I'm most interested in, like where we are in, in history and how <clears throat> specifically modernity and post-modernity and how, um, how you know just the everyday themes of like like basic things like wage labor are kind of like rooted in these you know broader historical themes of the growth of capitalism and and its spread and how it concentrates power and wealth in different areas and and rather than talking about those mechanistic kind of everyday um mundane themes of power and struggle it's it's more interesting to me to like couch them in this kind of historical language to give like a kind of broader perspective. And I like to draw on some of those, um, you know, mythological or because a lot of these kind of themes also have interesting parables and myth and, and religion. So mm. it's just a way of, of wrapping it in a more kind of interesting lyrical presentation to kind of, I don't know, give it some, some uh, imagery and, and uh, maybe elevate it. And so it resonates with people more with kind of those things they can connect with. Um, that's really what it is. It's, <clears throat> I just, I just, you know, I look for those kind of figures in history and, and myth to sometimes like talk about some of these modern themes in a more historical way. <laughs> so, I mean, you got, you got like the, the religion, the history and the modernity, like, is in your mind is kind of religion and history sort of intertwined and like i guess is the modern connected in in being a an extension of those events and stories or um well yeah I, religion is one aspect um but for me it's you know the economic mm-hmm. you know um the, that's like the main sort of engine of like modernity is like how you know, the trajectory, the growth of a certain economic model, the one we're under now internationally is kind of brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but 
Well, um, just like like so, Osiris, or or um, you know, going back to, uh, say Medusa or Gaia, um, these old gods, how do they connect to the current system in a way? I guess how how do we learn about the modern, uh, through these images of the past? I suppose. Uh, well, a lot of them are kind of connected with these kind of parables and and stories of you know basic humanistic themes that mm-hmm. I don't know which or it's you know timeless in a sense and and I think it's important to to kind of always have those kind of themes in our heads so we have a good understanding of uh, not only what's going on around us but to have a good kind of good. Uh, a basis from which to make, you know, good choices and, and, and judgments concerning values and, and ethics. I think there's a lot of um, understanding about the mechanics of things these days, especially with how um, powerful like media is and how easy, easy, easy it is to spread ideas and, and disperse them. But at the same time, there's not really, like an, a strong ethical kind of component to understand and make, you know, better decisions about how to, uh, to deal with some things like technology and media and things that are coming at us so fast. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I guess I'm, maybe I'm subconsciously drawn towards some of these more eternal, you know, timeless kind of mythical stories that, that talk about things like ethics and, and different ways to try to kind of ground some of the things I'm talking about in the lyrics, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's something I've never talked about like in this way. So kind of like <laughs> figured out myself, but it's usually I just sit down and kind of write and it's just kind of a, you know, a process of sorts, but it's nothing I really I'm super self-reflective on, I guess. Mm. <laughs> well, beyond some of those more timeless historical references, um, you know, that are embodied in those images of mythology, there are also a large number of very specific references to historical events and related kind of political ideologies, particularly those of relevance to the US. Uh, so on your album Traders, um, you make reference to uh, John Brown Patriots, uh, Thomas Paine, um, and on Airs of Thievery, you mentioned the Monroe Doctrine, um, which was introduced uh, by President James uh, Monroe in 1823, where he warns about, uh, European nations um, that the US will not tolerate further colonization from puppet monarchs, um, as well as Manifest Destiny, which is relatively well known to the US context, um, that suggests that the US is destined by God to expand its empire across North America. Um, and then even more recently on Rituals of Power, you reference um, Necrocene, um, which is the slow emergence of the crisis of negative value accumulation um, and thus extinction through capital. You also frequently reference um, specific wars, our military occupation and colonization in the US and overseas, um, like the song Seventh Cavalry off Heirs to Thievery, um, which references the Wounded Knee Massacre of Lakota people in 1890, um, the Spanish-American War, which um, stretches from Cuba to Manila on Heirs to Thievery. Um, so yeah, what is the intent behind including all of these quite specific references to America's history and geopolitical impact in addition to these more kind of timeless historical references um, in those, uh, you know, religious and uh, mythological images? Yeah, well, I guess in an effort to kind of balance out the lyrical subject matter of each record, I, you know, it's always, maybe it's like the, the um, 
the young Iron Maiden fan of me that kind of looks back at a historical kind of event or something that, and kind of writes something about it, whether it's like the trooper or the charge of the late brigade or, mm. or, uh, right with the ancient mariner. Um, I always found kind of like a good balance for a good record is to have like, at least for me is to have like, um, some songs that deal with the past or some deal with something that's happening right now. And, and Heirs of Thievery in particular was a record which um, was almost entirely kind of rooted in, in a you know, reflective review, a review of sorts of certain events in American history, which are kind of swept under the rug, you know, um, by sins. If you read uh, People's History in the United States, you know, it's a kind of like alternative history where, you know, kind of dissects all the, you know, the unpleasant events in American history that they don't really teach in schools. Um, because they're not really, um, you know, to tell the truth about it. I, there has been a kind of um, movement, I guess, in the last 20 years to kind of talk more about those themes and, you know, the some of the <clears throat> the things that happened to you know, minorities in the U.S. and other instances. And But, um, you know, for a death metal record, I thought, you know, that at the time, 2010, it came out, it was it was a good moment to look back and yeah that you know those themes were you know seven the cavalry is, is very much about what happened there at wounded knee and you know the song ears of theory kind of encompasses a lot of that um you know and traitors some of the i just read biographies of john brown and thomas Paine, so that's how they kind of make an appearance <laughs> of that on that at the time so yeah i mean it's it's you know i always try to have something like that or something that's kind of uh, you know, interesting take on something. So it's been made, definitely made its appearances. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you do hope that people have read the lyrics and you like that they, some of people have come up to you and talked to you about the lyrics. Uh, do you view in kind of telling these stories yourself in a way as like an educator? Like is, is death metal a way to keep stories that maybe societies don't want to tell alive? Um. It- it could be, um, you know, ultimately uh, I just want to have lyrics of substance that have, you know, something meaningful for me and for people to read about. And if, you know, if it does have some sort of, some sort of uh, educational component or, or cause someone to say, Oh, this is kind of cool. And they actually go and like maybe go on Wikipedia and read more about it and learn something about it. That's, that's even better. I mean, I want to know, you know, illusions or anything that, you know, one like death metal band's lyrics is going to somehow like <laughs> educate the masses or whatever. Because ultimately, it is we, we are just entertainers. <laughs> you know, we play music and we we play live shows and we make music for people to listen to. You know, when they go when they're driving down the road or when they go to the gym or something. So, but yeah, I mean, we are beyond that. You know, um, I guess we are kind of artists of sorts and. You know, that's just the way I feel comfortable expressing um, things. And it it's worked for us so far. And it's allowed us to kind of carve our own like niche in the death metal scene that, you know, where people know about us and then they know that this is what we're about. And and, uh, <clears throat> and I don't think there's too many doing kind of like this take on it. So I feel pretty good about that.
Hmm. Well, I can certainly say as an Australian, um, I had to look up quite a lot of these references and you certainly educated me on a lot of American history through that exercise. So um, oh, well. on a well. very small scale, at least <laughs> you've educated one person. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to delve into Australian history in the next album and oh, man. spread it out a little bit. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. You know, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Similar situation of a lot of suppressed history. So. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, some of these political references came from like books that you were reading at the time uh, or recently around the time you uh, wrote the album. And we actually noticed that some, you also have references just to uh, fictional literature as well. For instance, um, a line, a blaze burns, excuse me, I can't, I just lost the ability to speak there. Um, a blaze burns in Vonnegut's eyes appears in Gallows Hammer off the Killing Gods, Gods which is obviously a reference to Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, the song Weakener suggests maybe I'm deranged a Herbert West inside of me, which is a uh, Lovecraft character from the story Reanimator. Uh, there's an excerpt from A Gilded Age by Mark Twain and Charles Dudley Warner that begins Administer the Dagger. Uh, the first song off your latest album, Complete Control. And the song Complete Control rep- uh, mentions Caliban, uh, which is a half-human, half-monster enslaved by Prospero in Shakespeare's The Tempest. And Rites of cool- Cruelty details myopic pawns marching out to Rattenfanger's Call, uh, which is the origins of the Pied Piper story from, say, 13th century. Uh, given that these references are quite fleeting, like very few are central to a song, kind of what impact do they have on the overall message? And and how does, you know, where do you see the role of liter- uh literary uh, works within kind of uh, your lyrics as a whole? Well, to me, it's kind of like this, that's like the hot sauce that's the spice that, you know, that allows me to color things is like, especially when you draw on those records, it's like, mm. um, it's just what comes out sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's just like, it's about the imagery. You know, when I say something, you know, marching out to Rattenfanger's call, it's like that, conjures like an image is like oh what's that you know you actually kind of see this visual of like you know the pied piper or whoever i don't know it's you know in the vonnegut reference that's that's that song is about the kind of elevation of irony to, to a kind of like i don't know a point of where it loses meaning i can think of the time when it was, it was 2014 yeah just it it's um yeah it's like that's what i find interesting like like the, those literary kind of references are like little i think you said earlier, like little easter eggs that maybe if someone's reading they're like oh yeah mm-hmm. or kind of which adds another layer of like depth to it hopefully maybe to someone who's reading them or <laughs> but yeah it's important all those kind of things kind of come together to kind of you know <laughs> Okay. Hmm. I don't think we've had um, a hot sauce metaphor. Yeah, but I get it. Like I, I totally, yeah. I totally vibe with it. But it's an interesting yeah, it's image. Just, and this is great. I never had, I never spoken so much in my life about lyrics. So this is kind of uh, the first for me to, to to think through some of these things, like uh, like self reflectively. So <laughs> is this the goal though? Like that's it's why it's a little. I know it's why a little bit of stutter and start here because I'm trying to mm. think about it like in a different way but yeah I mean, that's what we go for that's what we're absolutely for, yeah. we, a lot of times be... i write it <laughs> i just write them you know and they're on they, they go on the track and in some cases they don't ever think about it again mm. you know if it's like a track we never play live it's just kind of like there and it's like yeah. it exists but it's not really in my mind anymore it's kind of like it was just something i put out and but 
I mean, yeah. it'd be it'd be weird, I think, if you knew the answers to all these questions, like just right off the bat. Especially considering <laughs> you've it's been a while since you've yeah. written some of them. So <laughs> we're, we're asking about yeah. you know twenty years of, of yeah. music almost here. So if if you're like, oh yeah, 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 this that's here's the here's the exact single reason for this. I I know that I still remember that would be that would actually <laughs> be kind of yeah, yeah frightening <laughs> in a way. Yeah, I mean, some of them I remember I know well, and they're like still some of my favorite. I mean. Ghost of Catalonia on Traitors. That's something I wrote after reading uh, Orwell's Homage to Catalonia. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Talks about the Spanish Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, some of them were, you know, more literal and to the point, and other ones are definitely more abstract and just kind of maybe I don't even know what I was talking about. And it was just something that came out. And some of those references felt, you know, ended up in there. But. <laughs> Well, this is one of the interesting things about your lyrics I found, like, you know, going through them is that, you know, you can see the kind of core themes, like, quite visibly, you know, on first inspection of the lyrics of any given song. But then, like, you know, there are kind of these layers that come up, like, through the references that you've added that kind of add more and more nuance. Is that something that you're intending as an effect for, you know, those readers that do want to do that extra work um, that, you know, they'll, if they want to dig below the surface, there's something that they will actually find? Exactly. I think that's 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 what it is. It's like, you know, when I reference Vonnegut, it's like, oh, well, maybe someone looked that up and they'll go read Slaughterhouse Five or something, or you know, and just mm -hmm. just find out about something or just seek. I remember it was the same when I was a kid in you know the eighties. I would be read lyrics and it'd be a reference to something. I'm like, what's that? And I'd look it up and I'd follow the path to kind of you know. I went out, actually went out and got a book of Coleridge's poetry and I read the rhyme the Ancient Mariner after the Iron Maiden had a song about it. So I guess it's just something that I'm uh, passing along, I guess, or, or reimagining through my own writing. <laughs> so. so kind of speaking of, of the balance you have here of, you know, the, the direct message and then kind of the wrapping of the hot sauce, if you will. Uh, we also noticed that, you know, if, if metal has sort of two stereotypes of the kind of heavy metal, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the jungle girls 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 kind of very very simple straightforward stuff or the carcassy uh you know i'm a native speaker of english but i have no idea what these words mean sort of difficult things uh your lyrics seem to kind of go back and forth between these poles in a way obviously not not to the motley crew kind of stuff but just in terms <laughs> of like straightforward you know terminology yeah. uh so for instance if we take the song infiltrators the first stanza is behind concrete walls the worst among us hide once more they will know what it means to live in fear uh make them fear like 1945 which again these are all words that you know the average english user would recognize even if they're in a more poetic way than they you know speak in day to day but the immediately following stanza is fence walking ponds separatists apologists all entangled cross burning cops uh catechists loyalists fascist agents life-sucking laws corporate cross reprobates rot the system shit talking frauds charlatans hypocrites drawn and quartered uh, which contain larger words including uh catechists which i'm not even sure i'm pronouncing right reprobates charlatans which again would not be say common in in day-to-day -day speech uh is this mix of you know the relatively everyday and the uncommon intentional and if so uh how do you get this balance between the simple and the complex when you're working on your lyrics uh well i guess i don't know first of all i approached that song because it's basically a two minute kind of hardcore song it's just a really you know has these kind of stupid riffs or just really chunky <laughs> heavy riffs it's, and it's just basically it's kind of like an intro we had laying around which we turned into a song so we just had the idea to make it kind of like a straight ahead kind of, you know, anti-fascist kind of anthem of sorts. And 
And, uh, and it, I approached it like that, you know, a lot of straight up tough guy, hardcore lyrics or something, you know, pretty straight up, you know, you can't keep me down. This is going to be, you know, I'm going to make my way. Like kind of, <laughs> so I just kind of had that for the start, you know, and of course, like when trying to encompass all the different dynamics of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, the, the where power is concentrated in modern society. Um, in different in law enforcement and in the church and government, I don't know, in, in the media, it's like, okay, how, what's a good way? What's a good one word kind of way that might sum up this stuff. And, and that's when you, I kind of got cross burning cops, you know, or catechists actually is the, or something like that, that kind of just encompasses the lawmakers of, you know, a Catholicism or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely, it just depends on the type of song, maybe what, how busy it is or, or the kind of vibe I get from it or something, but that one was definitely something that was more grounded in just like straight ahead terms. And it just felt like, like that's the, was the way to go rather than busying it up with all this like text and, you know, other types of imagery. <laughs> so kept it simple is there a way of like making sure that the lyrics are generally like accessible um but have these kind of words that again like if fans were to read the lyrics could easily kind of look up and still kind of get the overarching message of a song yeah yeah for sure um i don't really think too much about trying to I don't, I don't overthink it so much. Like I just, whatever sort of comes out. And I think, I think when I do write them, there is kind of a natural balance between that. You know, if like my main goal is like to, is to communicate the sincerity, you know, that of like the, the idea, you know, like this is something that's really important to this viewpoint. Um, but I like to present it in a certain way, which like, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't like make mm. it too, too explicit or too like shoving it down people's throats <clears throat> like there's just you could say fuck the system or something like that but there's like more nuanced ways of going about it and maybe kind of present a picture that will kind of lay out with, like in the eaters and the eaten uh, which kind of you know has it just asks basic questions like is this weird to think that a human life is worth when you talk about you know uh, wage labor, especially in the global South. So mm. just by asking questions, I, I do tend to ask like questions like that, just put it in a basic term and to make people think maybe a little bit more about it if they want to. So that's, a, that's how it goes, I guess. Mm. Well, another pattern that we looked at um, is just your use of perspective. So although all your albums involve the first person singular, like I, me, my, um, and the plural we, us, our perspectives, um, we noted a slight preference for we over I. Um, so even beginning with your first EP, we have like four instances of I, but seven instances of we. On Retaliate, you have nine instances each of 
I and my, but 14 instances of we uh, and 17 instances of our. Then on Discordia, you have seven instances of I and my, but eight instances of we, 14 instances of our. And on traders, you have only three instances of I, no my, and 17 instances of we, 14 instances of our. Heirs uh, to thievery features seven instances of I, 13 instances of we, nine instances of our. Rituals of power includes 13 instances of I, but 25 instances of we, seven instances of our. And then finally, complete control has four instances of I, three instances of my, but slightly more we or our with five um, and eight instances, respectively. The only album that doesn't follow this general pattern of the more kind of first person plural over the first person singular is The Killing Gods, which has 23 instances of I, 12 instances of my, but only 11 instances each of we and our. Is this a pattern that you're aware of, first of all? Slightly. Uh, I, I'm okay. impressed with the with the calculation. <laughs> that, yeah, I do some I do make explicit choices um in a lot of songs to emphasize the we, to give it a kind of collective, to emphasize the social mm-hmm. component of all the, the lyrics in this sense. And I've um, you know, I've we already live in a kind of hyper individualistic society and a lot of things we do are perceived like individually. And, you know, we often feel like I just wanted to emphasize that a lot of these themes are very much collective and they impact everyone. And this is something which is in our general social interest. So that's always in the back of my head. Sometimes I do like to like on the new album, the song complete control is from the person's perspective Mm. because it's about one individual's kind of like, awakening or social consciousness about how the tentacles of power are very much um not just you know through force but it's also through everyday habits the way society structured that kind of pushes into certain ways of thinking and doing so um yeah it's you know i guess it's the inner socialist in me that kind of like concentrates on the collective good but um <clears throat> um you know the the exemption example the one exemption you mentioned with the killing i could see that because it does have the four song uh mini concept piece that uh as i talked about is kind of like a um the faust parable mm-hmm. take home dirty so i think it's from the perspective of the faust character who probably mm-hmm. does a lot of me my i can do the, something i must know it whatever that yeah. So I can see why how that that album might be uh, might throw the statistics off a bit. <laughs> Is the I we in these songs generally you slash like the us the people that you are either like see yourself allied with or are trying to kind of put your like you know make as the protagonist or, or you know call to arms or whatever or is are the times where the I is like someone you're telling a story about who is kind of the protagonist you're viewing the tale through the eyes of. I'd say maybe 90% of the time. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a character that I'm kind of putting there and it kind of uses an example vehicle to talk about whatever theme the lyrics are about. There have been like a few instances through the years where I've like kind of just talked about from my perspective, maybe on a personal level, but it's just kind of veiled, I guess a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's almost always like a character, I guess, I'm thinking about. Okay. 
Have I mean, have you told like stories about yourself ever in in these lyrics, hidden, in a way? Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple. Um, I think my untold apocalypse was personal. It's like an early song, and then there was uh, a song on Discordia called "Sensory Deprivation," I think, which was personal. But other than those two, I can't think of too many more. Okay, so it is it is quite rare. Yeah, I never really saw the band of the lyrics. It's like some way for personal, you know, vehicle for personal expression of, I don't know, like <laughs> mm. my own trials and tribulations or angst. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the goal then generally is is more of a kind of the collective, the the union, the group, sort of uh, against the. Uh, I guess the few. <laughs> the, the few, the yeah. The I mean, that's the, yeah. That's I mean, if if you in most in most general terms, yes. Mm. Um, you know, like it don't it does bounce around like like a you know we as you mentioned like the, the historical subject stuff and other things. But yeah, I mean, I just see us in a you know within that kind of hardcore punk crust punk tradition and and directly back to Napalm Death. That's where to, to me that's they're the, like the kings of mm-hmm. and our biggest inspiration. Mm, okay. <clears throat> Another kind of clear pattern that we saw with pronouns is uh, the use of you and your and your albums to the extent that you your actually appears sometimes more frequently than we. So, for instance, going back to the EP, you have uh, four and fifteen instances of you and your respectively. On Retaliate, it's nineteen twenty one. On Traitors, there's uh, nineteen thirty five. So thirty five yours, nineteen use. Here's the thievery is seventeen twenty eight. Um, and these are all in cases where the, the numbers are higher than the we, our, the IMI pairs. Uh, what is, what impact do you think the you or your kind of has on the listener? And is it supposed to be directed to the listener? Like, is you the listener or, uh, is it a specific entity that you are, uh, kind of referring to most of the time? <laughs> the man. The man, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's like always the mysterious other who's like keeping them, keeping us down. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, I mean, yeah, like kind of like indirectly, but, uh, you know, without like looking at each individual case, it's hard that I can't make a real general statement, but usually it's like, it's usually directed at some oppressive form of oppression, oppressive system, um, or mechanism, um, which is of, you know, or power centralized or something like that, whether it's in, you know, it's a government or you know an economic system or you know anything in that sort of direction so, you know it's not that's usually what it is i mean uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard i can't really make a blanket statement on it but uh i, I would i'm guessing yeah it is it's something you know like the man in a sense <laughs> So like like when you're on stage um singing uh and in front of an audience do you feel more like the audience you're singing to the audience when you use we or when you use you like is 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 the audience ever the you that you're talking to or is, or are they more someone that you want to be involved with as kind of the the protagonist the speaker to me the we is always the most important that's like the especially in the live setting you know we have a like the collective feeling mm-hmm. of like the 
you know, the, the music, creating the music and the audience and the kind of the spirit we had together, like all that stuff kind of, you know, when I'm screaming something about we and us, it's definitely like trying to capture that collective like energy and spirit and direct it towards, you know, what, what might be um, frustrating people or, you know, might be seeking some kind of temporary relief from by attending the concert and kind of <laughs> having a bit of escape for a moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, the youth, the use, like, again, it's hard, like, I can't really say like in general, because, but yeah, when, when I'm speaking about that, I think that, you know, what, whatever song it happens to be, I think that uh, if, if someone out there knows the lyrics and they, <laughs> they hear me, hear us screaming them, then I think they're going to know who we're talking about. <laughs> it's not them. It's like, <laughs> well, this it's is funny. They. <laughs> yeah well i mean this is the like thing an right? infiltrators like an infiltrators once more they will know what it means to live in fear mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well that was a kind of additional question that i had in my mind was that like there does seem like if you look at the kind of patterns in your phenomenal choices across the albums this kind of like almost adversarial relationship that kind of comes up between like the i the we um an hour versus like you them um which maybe i think adds credence to your kind of general um assessment or analysis of your use of these pronouns to kind of address the difference between the experience of you know the majority who are like oppressed under this um kind of privileged minority is that i suppose like one way that of like assessing this kind of overarching pattern that reads accurate to you yeah i'm uh you know, they are adversarial. I think that there's, there's a, to me, I mean, I, I follow a kind of dialectical interpretation of history and that, you know, the clash of competing interests, interests is what, you know, forwards history would forwards change ultimately, you know, it's a very materialist perspective. Um, It's kind of, so when I talk about adversaries and these types of things, it's about, you know, talking about you know, the clash of of uh of thesis and antithesis and like this is what you know what how change is is made and hopefully for the better mm. so mm. that's kind of like the broader philosophical bit basis for it i guess but <laughs> um yeah i mean that's you know that's that's at its core that's like what you know what's being presented <laughs> if it resonates with people i don't know but <laughs> so one thing that we we found um not as common as as the use and the wheeze though uh is that you do have a smattering of non-english lyrics throughout uh your band's history for instance there are several lines in german uh in the song i'm, I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation of all this so i, I apologize to everyone listening and and you um angst ist die Seele auf fear eats the soul which seemed to reference a west german film from 1974 about a romance between an elderly german woman and a moroccan migrant worker uh, and they also have more german lines um on the calling from the killing gods specifically transformation within my soul mein Seele ist verkauft transformation begets the toll um Viren Zwangs's Zar in Voller. Uh, and then you also have 
lines in Spanish. Uh, el Dia de los Muertos, Dia de los Muertos, Bora la Memoria, uh, Rejue el uh, al Traidor, um, Sin Remordimiento ni Record, Cara a Cara con la Realidad, um, on Day of the Dead, off Heirs of Thievery, and the Unica Esperanza, off Traitors. And you also have a few instances of Latin, like on Demand the Impossible from Retaliate, the final line uh, is Via Victus, or Woe to the Conquered. And in the Choir Invisible from Rituals to Power, their lines Nameless, uh, Nominos, Unknown, Inominado, Not, which seem to repeat uh, the English words in the Latin. Oh, what is the what does the inclusion of these non-English words phrases add to these songs in your mind? Um, how do you expect the audience to kind of engage with this use of non-English lyrics in, uh, you know, otherwise English language songs? Um, that's more hot sauce for me. That's more <laughs> more spice. It's kind of another way of like elevating them and kind of giving them a little bit of something different. Mm-hmm. that's a way also of acknowledging that you know although english is a you know, dominant world language that there are other languages and other ways of like expressing things in different languages and and it just you know it, it just comes at certain moments you know uh i just always love it as a phrase it means fear eats the soul mm-hmm. so it's kind of a that song kind of deals with like the fear of the other and racism and, and how you know pointless it is and and you know the other ones the Faust stuff of course comes you know from the german Faust, uh from the from the actual text and i think in parts that mark put in there you know theo and swanzik yard in full like 24 years in total i think it means and um and you know like in the choir invisible references i just wanted to say unknown like like in different languages i just thought it resonate more mm. <clears throat> I mean, so, um, it's just something a way of, you know, a different way of expressing it that kind of adds like another layer of, um, of imagery to it, I guess. To absolutely torture this hot sauce metaphor, um, is is like the flavor of of German and Spanish and Latin like the hot sauce flavor different? Like, do they add different effects? Yeah, I guess um, <laughs> we've always had a strong connection with Germany because, like, I think Germany is where we do the best. Actually, we we mm-hmm. when we tour, we get the best crowds in Germany, and that's where some of our biggest like fan bases. So that's kind of like throwing a little bone, I guess, to <laughs> acknowledgement to our fans there, and and the Spanish is, as well as you know, it was a global language, and it's I've just done some of those phrases have creeped in and you know, that Unica Esperanza, and it's just, I don't know, it just, when I was writing the lyrics, it just, it's just something that came to me, and just, and, and fell in with it, so. Do those languages feel metal at all in ways that, like, others don't? Like, uh, say, you know, you've got German, Spanish, and Latin. Uh, Latin and metal, of course, is, is quite, you know, a common phenomenon. Uh, could you replace them with, say, I don't know, uh, Chinese, Swahili, and French, and still have the same impact you're going for? Or do those languages have a specific sound that you feel fits metal or even just fits kind of misery index's sound? Yeah, I mean, sure, any any language could possibly be, you know, useful or interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, I just know I studied German, so I just it was just kind of like easy for me to pull some phrases, sure. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and uh and Spanish is all even though I don't really speak Spanish it's all, it's always been around me and you know grew up in the U.S. and and uh have a lot of friends so it's just kind of a, those are just the ones that happened upon but of mm. course yeah it could be you know any language from Urdu to I don't know to finish <laughs> yeah hmm. okay and so in those cases have you like so you said that in one case obviously Mark wrote the lyrics um there but in those cases are you generally writing the lyrics yourself in the non-English languages um when- yeah the phrases the phrases we brought in yeah I've I've okay. put them there mm. Mark usually writes at least one or two songs on a record he has one on the new album but on the yeah on the killing gods he wrote the whole like faust like story so that was like you know almost half the album but um in general though i usually write almost all the lyrics i'd mm. say i suppose we were just wondering if you kind of drew the like non-english lyrics from some other source directly like you know like quoting like the film name yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I actually saw that movie and it kind of stuck with me. So when I thought about it at the time, you know, I wanted to have a song that was kind of like an anti-racist kind of mm-hmm. track. I thought I could call it Theory to Soul or it's like Angst is Zela Alf and it just has like more substance. I don't know. It's like it goes back to the something which is personal to me, you know, the film that I saw. And... I'm going to hop in with like a painfully academic question. And and if the answer is no, just, just say no. And that's fine. <laughs> but I'm just curious, like, like if you think deep in your mind, like is in using these non-English languages, is there any like subtle pushback against kind of the historical dominance of English in metal, despite metal being, you know, an incredibly international subculture and scene? Yeah, it's possible. You know, I've always been internationally minded and and I've always been interested in other ways of thinking, other ways of doing and knowing and interpreting things. And, and you know, the I just, you know, I've never, you know, I do, I don't take the, you know, for granted the fact that, you know, being a native English speaker, it's a lot easier for, for us to navigate our professional and artistic careers mm-hmm. internationally. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that we would try to sing it if we could. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a lot of you know going back to what we were talking about with the how on extreme metal and death metal and black metal, etc. That a lot of the times the lyrics you you aren't really can't understand them a lot of the times anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the music kind of takes precedence, and you know, when you have some popular bands who sing in their own language and do fine, like, you know, Rammstein and a lot of Norwegian black metal bands and things like that. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of space there. It's like, I think, uh, you know, I think the, the dominance of English and metals is probably rooted in the dominance of English and rock music in general and rock history. Yeah, rock came out of England and the United States. It's a distinctively Anglo-American kind of creation, a specific time in history. And metal is just, you know, if you follow the tree back to that, it's like it's still rooted in that kind of 
especially 70s blues like blue collar kind of like um life in you know in the u.s and in uk and birmingham and places like that kind of solidified that kind of like anglo-american white working class roots of metal i guess and mm. even though that's where it's been born it's you know been taken up by the world and in the recent years you've seen it being you know reinterpreted in a lot of different countries and different languages too. So it's, I don't think it's inevitably going to stay that way. I think there's going to be, you know, it's going to change and, and morph and, and to, uh, <clears throat> you know, as it disperses and it's taken up in different cultures. I don't know if it's going to just, you know, dethrone the dominance of English, but I think it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of, more other interesting like takes on it mm. but, sure so um you do use a lot of um like questions um in your lyrics that's something you mentioned earlier but we wanted to kind of ask a more specific question about this um so from um another dream falls out of sight um and what have we now to uh, so what have we to show for this um on your first album to the sequence who yearns to breathe this acrid acid air who among us bleeds for a better life beyond despair on the new album uh you average about 12.28 uh questions per record so far um so more than one per song that works out to be so um, what effect does asking questions have um, in a song for you? And um, what is a listener who obviously, you know, can't respond supposed to do with these kind of questions? Oh, uh, yeah. Just, you know, like, as I mentioned, when I first brought it up, it's kind of like something that I always felt like um, it just presents, you know, the idea in a way, which when you, when you present it as a question, it's, it's like kind of, it's much better than simply like saying something and, an attempt to like convince someone of something or you know, hammer it down their throat by saying, we got to do this, this and that, let's do this, this and that. And kind of, it's when you ask like basic core questions about, you know, you know, about what is about, you know, basic, you know, value questions, you know, like, what is this? Is this a good thing for, you know, humanity, or is this something, is this a path we really want to go down? You know, is this something that benefits everyone? Is this like, you know, how, you know, how are we supposed to feel about this? It's like, I think those are more powerful, more interesting ways to, you know, present some of the ideas <clears throat> It might be seen to be, uh, it might, well, some critics might say it's like, it's less, it, you know, it kind of doesn't have the kind of teeth or bite that hard, a harsher criticism might have. I don't know, but I think the criticisms are there and they're just as equally harsh. But I think the use of the question is something that, it's just my approach. I guess it's my own philosophy. I don't know. I think it works better for, rather than, than initiating confrontation directly, it, it opens like, I don't know, people, it's better to open up thought and ideas and and to get people maybe self-reflectively asking some of the questions if you know this if they want to go about it and read the lyrics and and they're maybe sitting there checking them out as, as the music's going or something it, i just think it's something that uh works <clears throat> it works better for me too expressively i just think it i don't know when when the statement like that appears in the song it's just i don't know it 
it carries more weight for me, I guess, than it's just something that I visit as a kind of a expressive tool or a, you know, a mechanism of, of using the words. And I don't know. It's just my method, I guess. <laughs> hmm. So on the topic of this method, uh, we noted an interesting contrast over your second to last album, Rituals of Power, and the newest album, because Rituals of Power has 20 questions, which is the highest of any release you've ever done. Uh, and this is in part due to the repeating section on New Salem that goes, do you fight the good fight or instigate the fighting? But it still has 14 non-repeating uses, so above the average for your releases. Um, in contrast, though, the new house album has 10 questions, which is the second lowest you've ever done, uh, except for nine on 2008's Traders. And the questions are only found in the first three songs. Uh, once you get to track four, there's no questions at all. Um, is this just pure chance, or did something happen with this new album that caused a, a drop in this uh, technique of yours? It must. I mean, I've definitely not ever thought about it until right now. So okay. <laughs> it's something, I mean, it, for sure, it's all just comes what it is. And, you know, the music's written, the lyrics are written to the music. You know, the the track order is set based on how the feel of the songs go. Um, so it's, you know, those are just, it's just by chance for sure. I mean, okay. there wasn't any anything conscious there about how, to, how it all comes out. <laughs> I figured you know, with, with this many questions, at least one of them is just going to be chance. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we found it. That's good. And earlier you mentioned that you, you know, you really like to engage with wordplay. And that's something that we certainly saw um, in a lot of the lyrics of, um, you know, all your releases, because there's pretty consistent presence of rhyming schemes. In fact, I think every song um, from the EP to your latest album includes at least one instances of rhyme. Um, so in, in many cases, the rhyme is also uh, paid with alliteration. Um, and this is most clearly seen um, on the track Re uh, Reciprocal Repulsion, um, which obviously starts with some alliteration. Um, we have lines like Victor and Vanquished, uh, spew vitriol through the air, Reciprocal Repulsion, a zero-sum end, Victor and Vanquished, spit venom and despair, um, Reciprocal Repulsion, zero-sum end. Um, to give another example, Administer the Dagger features the lines, wealth ingests wealth as you swallow our lies, each will disdain what the other decries, uh, the, other, uh, the other preserves what the other the order prescribes and we the sinister administer the dagger difficult to get out of the mouse at this stage <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what what motivated you to kind of consistently integrate both rhyme and alliteration um into you know just about every one of your songs and what kind of effect do you think this generates for the listener it's just the color it's just like that's like that's the you know the substance which i love about of poetry and, and well-written kind of like the classic English poets that would use a lot of that. And, and I just love the, you know, the way it flows, it gives, mm. you know, the, it's like a, in a palette and <laughs> language is like the, you know, what, the, how you can bring like a lot of color to it and how you can, you know, draw out the imagery and, you know, alliteration and rhyme or like, those are like my favorite aspects of good lyrics that what I find the most interesting. Of course, you don't have to have those, but to me, that's especially like that to me is like when I sit down and write lyrics, that's like the challenge is like coming up with that kind of play and, and like you know, what I find most exciting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, it's always, I guess, interested me that, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of int uh, artists that use rhyme and really enjoy rhyme. 
Um, and it's very interesting to see these sort of aspects of traditional poetics and traditional images of, you know, what, what is beautiful language come up in a genre, which is, you know, on paper, very non-traditional in, in the beauty that it tries to get out of art. Why do you think, um, I guess, extreme metal goes back to rhyme, given that it's, you know, on paper uh, and not just on paper in real life, uh, emphasizes the kind of the transgression and the rejection of, of, you know, the, the the barred gates of you know high <laughs> art in a way i don't know it's a good question i i mean i can only just say that that's like the, the, you know that kind of classical english literature is kind of like what i was drawn to in my formative years and i guess it stuck with me mm-hmm. you know even even as i perform this you know extreme kind of transgressive uh you know sonically like music and i put words to it like that's kind of like what i fall back on i guess or and it's just like what i find what i always enjoyed about you know reading lyrics when i was a kid so i've kind of like latched on to that i guess and (laughs) but it's yeah i mean there's a lot out there though too i mean there's a lot of lyrics that are you know, a lot less uh, classically inspired, I guess. And mm. some, mm. Are, but this is the way I like to work with it, I guess. And Cool. Well, so one thing we noticed that you seem to uh, not like to work with so much uh, in your lyrics is, is swearing, because there's quite a, um, a minimal amount throughout your catalog. Uh, there's generally like a handful of fucks on every album. The EP has two, Discordia has one, Harris the TV has five, Rituals of Power of the Five, but they all appear on one song. Uh, and then Traders is the most with nine, but four are again in one song, Arbiter. And then there's just one instance of shit on Traders, Harris the Thievery, and Complete Control. And you have no swearing at all, not even a single word on Retaliate or The Killing Gods. Um, is swearing something that you feel you kind of consciously avoid? Um, or is it just something that kind of happened naturally, despite you know the the kind of anger, I suppose, and, and protesting kind of nature of, of the songs that you write? Um, I guess it's used you know, sparingly like creep in every now and then i know on the new album there's this one i think but it's not even printed in the lyrics it's just it's just said in the song but <laughs> yeah i don't i didn't really think about it i guess it's never really thought it was necessary or hmm. something that was like needed to be employed i guess to to emphasize the point or reinforce some of the anger but um I don't think there's anything wrong with it or if it's, you know, if it's needed or if it's like something that comes out as, in, you know, in, in expressing the lyrics, it's perfectly valid, but it just never creeped in, I guess, <laughs> as like a main theme for me or a, mm. or a tool. Would it like detract from the kind of poetic um, and like, word playful um, effect that you generally try to create with your lyrics if you were to include a lot more swearing? I don't know. It, I guess if it was used right, it, it could work. But uh, I just never felt the need and it never seemed to fall in there. So it just has it's not in the forefront, I guess. But. Uh, <laughs> so how do you define then when it's appropriate? Like, um, you know, like how do you find when, when it fits and when it's, you know, unnecessary? Well, the only time we use it on the new album on. uh <clears throat> complete control is in that one you mentioned before infiltrators the kind of hardcore type mm. song where the lyrics are kind of 
straightforward. On the lyrics in the printed version, it says, um, uh, behind concrete walls, um, or so long and hide, once more they will know what it means to live in fear. Hmm. But on the album, actually, it's what it means to live in fucking fear. <laughs> but it wasn't printed in the lyrics. But just when I was saying it, you know, I was recording it for the album, having that extra two syllables in there really hammered it home and just saying fucking fear. Mm-hmm. It was just like a, a way to emphasize it. And I thought that was very appropriate. It felt like it, it needed that. Kind of works in alliteration you know, too, huh? Mm. Yeah, it's a very pissed off kind of anti-fascist kind of like anthem for us. So we wanted to like, you know, that's the one the one point where it just kind of naturally came out. Because I could have said what it means to live in fear, or what it means to live in fucking fear, right on the beat. So mm-hmm. it was like way way to emphasize it. So that would that came out there and. uh <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't in the original lyrics, but like I said, when I was recording it, it just kind of made an appearance. <laughs> okay. Uh, and before we get to uh, the the final question, we want to ask you about uh, perhaps what is the one of the oddest songs you've written in your catalog uh, lyrically, the one that I suppose departs most from uh, the norm, uh, and that is a Japanese bonus track called "The Devil's Onion Ring," um, where you write about uh, what appears to be shitting your pants um, via don't lose this burning desire, going to feel that ass on fire. Uh, and you incorporate the Fred Flintstone line, Yabba Dabba Doo, multiple times. Um, I guess we want to ask what was what was going on with this song? What was it like to write a song like this? Um, yeah. And, and was it <laughs> yeah, just... well, for those who are, yeah. for those who are unfamiliar, um, the labels usually always request the Japanese bonus track because mm-hmm. The CDs are so expensive there that generally they won't buy them unless there's like some sort of added value component. I was told we were told. So usually you have to come up with like one extra something for that for that release. And for that one, we didn't have one. We didn't have a song. And it was like last minute. But they it wasn't there's actually other member. I wasn't even involved in that song. Oh, okay. It was just some friends, some mutual friends who had a joke song, which which they played sometimes in the rehearsal space together. And it was this other guy that came in. He it was his song, his joke lyrics or whatever. And there's they're just perfectly meaningless, and it's just a basic kind of rock song. And and it's just something <laughs> which we've you know, or they threw down and you know in a minute at the end of the recording session for the Japanese bonus track and as far as we know it's like that's the only appearance it's made (laughs) (laughs) so I think it might be on YouTube or but it's not it's not really our song and it's not intended to be anything connected with us it's just kind of a pure joke obviously (laughs) have you ever performed it live um yeah one time like as a like an encore like the other guys friends came up on stage it was just kind of a joke kind of like last song kind of thing okay but that was the one and only time <laughs> <laughs> interesting 
So uh, I suppose that brings us to our final question, <laughs> which is um, <laughs> what do you feel is the general kind of like role of language and lyrics in Misery Index's music? And if you were to speak of the you know realm of extreme metal more broadly, yeah, what is again like the um, influence and input that language offers? Uh, well, f- for me, it's, it's, um, that's when I, you know, you know, after all the music's written and, you know, we have this like open slate, you know, of all the music and there's, you know, that writing, that moment, like writing the text, that's like one of the most exciting points for me is like, you know, as I've talked about, like lyrics are just the, you know, the, I don't know, I, I guess I might even get more out of that, like, as far as personal fulfillment than than writing the riffs even it's kind of like the you know when i get to go into myself and get really expressive and and talk about you know when you get up and read the news every day it can weigh on you and and there's a lot of negativity and it's just like a way of channeling all that out and you know when it comes time to put the lyrics down that's the that's when it You know, I can draw on all those kind of like influences and capture them and and channel them into the you know the means use it as a means of criticism as I've talked about also a means of what I hope is like a kind of positive take on like a positive kind of way of criticism. I've always kind of had this mantra of pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. Um, this goes back to Gramsci, I think, and. Um, and I always thought that was a good way to approach things, you know, have a critical bite, but also have some sort of like hope, hope in it and like a positive component to it, that things might be better. So that's kind of like, it's a very fulfilling thing for me. You know, it's like, you know, working with language and, and, and painting that, painting that picture or whatever. <laughs> that's the, that's the primary means of fulfillment for sure. And you know, if, if other people like it and and can find some something that resonates in there, that's even better. But... So, do you think, like, without the lyrics, that bit of hope you're talking about is something that would kind of be missing from, uh, like, extreme metal or, or even just misery index? Like, is is it, you know, given how the the music obviously at at face value is dark and dour and and angry, um, is is lyrics the only way that kind of uh maybe hope comes through no i think it does in the music as well mm. i just think i think when you use like some really in some of the more melancholic kind of melodic passages we have there's kind of a, a burning kind of hope in there i don't know <laughs> we get that from punk as well i think there's mm. like there's always that kind mm. of like the driving kind of anger that's like it's anger but it's of course, there's all different kinds of punk, but in some of the some of the hardcore crust punk stuff that I really like, that's where I found like a lot of you know hope for a better way of life for you know if not today, then for our children or what have you. I don't know. It's yeah, it it resonates, and when it's when when it when it all kind of coalesces and and comes together, like with a good the music and the lyrics work well together and it's a good kind of interplay that's that's when it really reaches its most impactful i think Mm. awesome yeah well 
Thank you so much for persevering through our very detailed questions and recalling um, you know, facts about your lyric writing process from you know, two decades 15, ago. 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> we really appreciate nice. the effort. Oh, thank you. It's been, I've never been so self-reflexive on the, you know, on the, all the lyrics and the process and everything. So it's kind of <laughs> made me think about things for sure. So uh, if you obviously you have a, um, the new album came out quite recently, uh, but are pe can people expect anything else uh, next bit or are you, do you have anything coming up? Where can people go to listen to uh, more of the music? Um, yeah, miseryindex.com. That's the, like the home launch point for everything and uh new music maybe next year you know we've already started writing so we'll see what happens but uh yeah the new album just came out like three four months ago so we're still kind of on that right now but any tours planned uh yeah we just finished up the festival run in, in europe we're gonna do uh a couple more in November, one in Denmark, one in the UK, Damnation Fest in Manchester. And then next year, we'll see what it brings. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll leave the um, yeah website link in our description for anyone who wants to check out Misery Index and see what you're up to. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank we really appreciate it. Yeah. Right on. Thank you Take both. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Mm -hmm.